0: It's Wednesday, June twenty fifth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, back from Europe, Mr. Bill Barker. Good to see you, man. Good to be back. Welcome Good
1: to be back. Welcome back.
0: Thank welcome you. Welcome back. We are not yet at the start of the next earnings season, but fortunately, as Tony Kornheiser would say, the news ferry arrived. We've <laughs> the, <laughs> the news. news ferry arrived this morning and and sprinkled some dust, and so we've got a couple of uh, stories regarding GDP and the Supreme Court. We'll also um, talk about what you learned when you were over, allegedly, at an investing conference in Paris. Uh, Let's start, however, um, with the U.S. Supreme Court, which has ruled that Aereo, uh, the TV streaming service, is illegal. Um, For those who don't know, Aereo is this startup company that effectively captured the over-the-air signals of traditional broadcasters and was able to channel it to subscribers so that people could watch uh, on their computer, their tablet, their smartphone, that sort of thing. And Ario argued, hey, our clients are, are just renting antenna um, that they would otherwise have in their home. And the big broadcasters got together and said, no, actually, you're violating copyright law. And the U.S. Supreme Court sided with them My first question to you, because you're a lawyer, uh, was this a surprise? I mean, I'm not a lawyer, but I just sort of stepped back earlier in the year when this case was sort of making its way, and I looked at the basics of it, and I said, look, I'm I'm all for the Davids of the world in their fights against Goliaths, and yet this kind of seems like Goliath has got a pretty good case on his hands.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree, and I think that um, the, despite being introduced as a lawyer and therefore knowing everything about how <laughs> the law works and all different kinds of, of law, uh, yeah, common sense would have dictated uh, that this sure seems like if, if there's any copyright protection, it, it would apply, right? And uh, But that said, it, it was a 6-3 opinion, so two-thirds, that's a that's a decent sized majority for this kind of split uh, mm-hmm. Supreme Court, but uh, you know six three on uh, with the liberal side gaining a couple of key votes from from the more conservative side. I would say is a, a reasonably sound uh, victory for uh, common sense in this one, and
0: a victory for shareholders of CBS, of Disney, Comcast, Time Warner Cable shares all up. And if you look at the chart of each one of those stocks this morning it's sort of muddling along in the first 35 minutes of the trading day, and then at I think it was 10.05 when the decision was handed down, straight up.
1: Yeah. Uh, They do not have to explore, as I I guess CBS was the most vocal about, just really exploring an entirely different kind of business plan um, and, and putting everything Uh, behind the wall Uh, so I think that it it is good for those that want to continue to consume uh, free uh, network uh, product however many people how many people is that by the way I don't know I don't know (laughs) do you watch anything on network other than sports other than sports
0: do I watch anything on network television I don't know that I not on a regular basis
1: and growing up how much would you have watched on network
0: that's, like all all that's, yeah, all, that's, that's all there was growing up. All waking hours. That's all there was growing up. There were the three networks. I mean, is, 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 does any phrase have less value over time than the phrase hit TV show from the 1970s? Uh, you know, you there were three channels. If you were a hit TV show, well, you know what? There were you three, were winning your time slot. You were winning up your time slot against two other shows. That was That's it. That's my mama,
1: yeah probably was one of the hit TV shows of the 1970s, because it was up against like the Talking Cat or something like that. Yeah, yeah, Talking Cat. Always making a comeback. Always making a comeback.
0: Uh, Let's get to GDP. The Bureau of Economic Analysis released its final estimate for GDP for the first three months of the year. Uh, Not good. Uh, Down 2.9%. What's going on at the Bureau of Economic Analysis is my question, because this was their third and final estimate, and it's down 2.9%. Their previous estimate was
1: down 1%. So, and the estimate before that, I think, was up a tenth of a percent or, yeah. or something like that, their initial estimate. Well, uh, what's up with them? There's there's a pretty large margin of error on these things and the revisions typically. This was the largest revision in quite some time, I think. And, and I don't have the data in front of me, much like you know, the, they don't seem to have the data in front of them when, well, when they make their, their measurements. Well, uh,
0: apparently they're just adding data Constantly. Yeah. So, it's like, well, we're going to make our first estimate, but then we're going to get reams more information, and then we'll make another guess, and then we'll make a third and final guess.
1: Right. And, and then uh, later it's studied that, the, that that third and final one wasn't the most accurate thing either, you know, over time. But uh, to, to get to the point, I guess, of uh, not to take away from what they have to do, which is a hard job of, of measuring an extremely complicated thing in, in very short periods of time, uh, is, you know, does the market care? And the answer is no.
0: I I, I was just about to say when you look at the reaction in the market today, where last I checked, the Dow and S and P up slightly, the Nasdaq down slightly. The market's just shrugging this off. Why is that? Because I mean, it's is GDP is GDP one of those macroeconomic data points that is less relevant to investing as time goes on?
1: No, it's pretty important over long term. It's we already know not only because we have everybody's results from the first quarter. So we know what the market, after all, really cares how much money are companies making and what are they saying about what they're going to make in the future. And so we already have their own numbers for the first quarter reported. So this number of what the economy did, while you know somewhat relevant, is old news. That is, we're almost done the second quarter today and we're getting the first quarter. And we already know what the first quarter profits were. So it's... it's It's not going to, this revision down doesn't change what companies report having made for the quarter. And it doesn't change what they're going to project making for the rest of the year. And in the case of this last first quarter, which was legitimately marked by a lot of bad weather, not to the tune of 3%. It's not all weather related. uh, But still, that's the kind of thing that pushes activity from the first quarter into the second quarter. So, you know, the second quarter projections of economic growth are still hovering, you know, above 3%. Uh, you combine the first and the second quarters, and you're not getting a big number between those, those two numbers, even if it does, for once, come in at expectations of, of 3, 3.5%, three which I think is what the second quarter uh, consensus estimates are. That still amounts to nearly flat growth for the first half of the year. So, that's not, that's not great, but it's, it's It's not as dire as the
0: headline would suggest.
1: No. The headline sounds really bad, and there have been uh, there's only been one negative quarter of, of growth since uh, the end of the recession. Um, so, you know, a one-quarter thing comes up. When you get two quarters in a the row, then everybody starts talking about recession, that that being sort of a shorthand definition of a recession, uh, nobody thinks that the second quarter is going to be negative. You were over in Italy for some time off with your
0: family, but uh, you made a detour to Paris for an investing conference. We'll get to how amazing Paris is uh, in a moment, but what did you learn there what what was the purpose of the conference? It was because uh, you tend to focus on consumer facing companies, consumer goods and services that sort of thing was it those types of companies
1: it it was so there's there's consumer discretionary companies and just dis- uh, consumer staples, and these were more consumer staples. So you're slower moving things, you know, the, the kind of stuff that that your Proctors and Gamble's and you know the Proctors and Gamble's of of Europe. It was a Europe conference, so there were a lot of European names that were Unilever. Some, Unilever, yes, I saw Unilever. That was exciting. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's... you know, consumer staples is not the most exciting. Think you probably don't talk about consumer staple the Unilevers of the world, the Proctors and Gamble of the world as much as things which have more exciting stories to them, because when you're at one of these presentations, they're talking about, hey, you're used to listening to us listening to us talk about one percent growth a year in our categories. Now we're looking at 05 percent growth currently, right? Like on your podcast, are you going to talk about that kind of those kinds of numbers? It's just you know, it's just not exciting enough. Well, so what I was thinking was
0: on the occasions when we do, and we do from time to time, talk about Unilever, Procter and Gamble, sort of those large conglomerates. What we typically end up talking about is individual divisions because those companies have so many moving parts to them. How does a Unilever even begin to make a presentation about their business? Do they actually go into the details and like this this is how, you know, do they break it down by individual companies because that you could arguably spend an entire day digging into all of the segments of a Unilever or a Procter and Gamble?
1: Uh, And by the way,
0: by the end of that day, everyone would be dead. Everyone in the audience would have either um, been literally bored to death or they would have killed themselves. Yeah,
1: No, it's interesting when they do that and you get to a company which either is killing it or being killed by their kitty litter division, for instance, (laughs) and, and there was some of that. Uh, and that is the kind of thing.
0: So wait a minute. Someone got up there and sort of broke out their business, and then at one end of the graph there was this arrow straight down. It's like, oh yeah, that's the kitty litter division, and it's it's basically sinking the entire ship.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's,
1: that's the kind of what you get. So, some, so when people, people hear that I went to Paris and they oh, that must have been, that's not really work. No, I was listening to presentations on the kitty litter division. Did someone- I'm, The kitty litter is more interesting than the soap, I'll tell you that. Did someone, Did
0: either you or one of the other analysts in attendance, raise your hand and ask, mm-hmm. hey, are you thinking about getting out of the kitty litter business since you appear to be terrible at it? uh
1: no no because it's a pretty stable business you know it, not stable it, enough apparently you know that well there's there's a little bit of trading a market share in the kitty litter business you know there's and, but but they'll talk about you know what are the innovations in their kitty litter business <laughs> and and if you you don't have any cats i don't now, this have... is, we're talking about this in part because i have four cats so you know that's the the kitty litter business while a good punchline in general is also something that I actually buy so yes. I was like is there any information to be gained by, by listening to to this kitty litter stuff um, and but you know for the consumer there there are things that that uh, get them to buy or move or change brands there there's branding in kitty litter just as there is in, in everything else and um you know soaps and kitty litters and deodorants i mean that's a lot of what this conference is
0: first of all congratulations on being uh, the first person in the history of financial media to use the phrase innovations in the kitty litter industry
1: <laughs> um clumping that's that's one of the big <laughs> I, I didn't need more color than that that's mul- fun. multi cat use <laughs> that that's also but clumping
0: is big um I've never been to Paris. What's one thing I need to do when I go to Paris?
1: Walk around. That's mostly what you need to do. I I don't think you even need to go into anything, although going to Notre Dame and Sainte Chapelle and the other churches and and things there is is great. Uh, Just walking around, the last time that I'd really been in Paris was uh, about 20 years ago with my wife, and it was the week between Christmas and and New Year's, and it was record-setting cold uh, for not only Paris, but just generally in Europe at the time. And it wasn't, you're from Maine, so you're used to it being about negative 40, negative, or something (laughs) like that. Not quite that bad, but I know what cold is. You know what cold is, and you know what cold numbers are. And Paris was, it was, I think the whole time we were there was between about 15 and 22, which is not, that's not that cold to us but it is cold there because it's so damp it's it's a different level of cold okay uh and it was windy and and if you can't walk around paris and you're just like scurrying into places not not nearly as fun so this was i was it was late spring that's what you want to do get there at a time when you can walk around that's my advice but go you, uh, you so you've never been you say never you're been just to Paris. making you're just looking for sympathy from the audience
0: no 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 I'm I'm no how, that's what it sounded like <laughs> no I'm I'm hopeful that someday I will go but I but it, Paris also strikes me as one of those like a lot of large cities there are so many options there are so many things that you that one could possibly do that my gut instinct in those situations is to just be struck by momentary paralysis. Like, uh, we, you know, wh- what do I do? So I'm. I. That's why I ask people like you have been there, give me some guidance because, you know, that. And by the way, some of those, some of those things that would be fun for people in my home that I'm related to by marriage. Not necessarily fun for me, so it's good to get tips like, no, no, let's just—we don't need to go to that museum. We don't need to stand in line to wait to get into that museum. Let's just walk around. Let's maybe hit an outdoor cafe.
1: Yes, yeah, no, that's—I think that's much more worth doing than going because the museums, and we, so we, the rest of this trip, we were. Traveling with my family in, in Italy and, and did go as one has to in, in the big cities in Italy to museums and, and churches. And the kids were less enthusiastic about that than, I don't know, say, sleeping. And <laughs> um, it, it's it, a crowded museum cannot be worth the, the time and trouble for anybody. Biggest art fan in the world. Nobody likes being in a crowded museum, do they? No. Serial killers, maybe. Like, I mean, I, I guess, right? You would know more about that than I. But, Serial yeah. killing. Yeah, I just uh, <laughs> who? Who else? Who when else you, would like? When you Diana said that, I just do...
0: instantly thought of uh, like the Da Vinci Code and the, the the Robert Langdon mystery, you know, movies, the Tom Hanks movies. I'm assuming, yeah. Did so. you watch that? I watched the first one. Okay. Yeah. Why? Uh, you know, something to do. Okay. <laughs> you know what? It was not on broadcast TV. It was on cable TV. <laughs> I, I that's understand. what I was watching. Uh, before I let you go. Uh, the folks at Motley Fool Funds uh, have some news. I, I, I have to mention, once again, if you're not signed up for declarations, which is the monthly newsletter at Motley Fool Funds, please do. Uh, you can just go to foolfunds.com, uh, give them your email address, and you get uh, the really great monthly uh, insights from Bill Barker, Tim Hanson, Bill Mann, the whole team there. Uh, but uh, something else uh, for investors,
1: what what is it? Uh, I, you have some news okay. at Motley Fool I funds. You were going to uh, give the news. Uh, so we've we've dropped the fees on the funds, uh, the three funds uh, that are available, and uh, it's about depending on the fund, uh, at least a, a twenty basis point drop uh, on the prices. And, and there's more details available uh, on our website, but uh, it's it's uh, just cheaper to be invested in the funds, and and the fund. Industry is moving more and more toward cheaper uh, prices, which is good. And we've got to um, be part of that. Whether you know,
0: and that's that, something I mean, for anyone who knows the Motley Fool's 20 year history, that is something that that is a drum we have been banging. Uh, pretty much since day one, the the fee structure in the mutual uh, fund industry, and so it's it's good to see the overall industry moving the way that that uh, this company has been yeah. pushing.
1: And our our funds have grown to a size large enough now where we can uh, drop the pricing uh, a bit, and uh, that's good for our investors. And uh, you know, it's it better than just what we're doing; it better uh, across the industry, the investors not only are prices coming down, our funds being forced to compete on price, uh, but uh, that investors are becoming more educated and are just choosing the lower cost funds on their own. So more and more money in the mutual fund industry is being invested into lower and lower cost funds. Uh, that's going to mean over time uh, more money for investors. Fantastic. All right,
0: Bill Barker, thank you for being here, man. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.